What I want to talk to you today about is the sons of Issachar. We'll read the verse in just a minute. It says that they knew the times they were living in. They understood them and that they knew what to do. So let's take a look at that. Come with me to 1 Chronicles. Just going to read one verse. It's verse 32. The Bible says, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. I want you to notice two things in verse 32. Number one, this tribe, Issachar, understood the times they were living in. They knew what was going on. Just as importantly, and maybe more importantly, was the fact that they knew what to do. I would say that there's many people here in this sanctuary and maybe watching by way of television as well, listening on the radio. You understand the times, but are at a loss to know what to do. And I don't mean what you must do in your life individually, because some of that is simply not covered in the Bible. It's just a matter of you praying before God, knowing what the principles of the scriptures are, and then acting accordingly. I'm talking in generalities for the church of God, people of God, that in my own mind, I believe I know what to do and I have an understanding of the times. Let me start with this brief quotation from a message delivered by John Wesley. John Wesley, as you may remember, was one of the premier leaders of the first great awakening in America, along with Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, another evangelist, John Wesley and his brother Charles. These four men were the premier leaders, de facto leaders, of the first great awakening. Whitfield preaching in the cornfields as farmers, which was everybody back in those days, were going out to work and he'd be preaching in the fields 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Wesley on horseback. I forget how many tens of thousands of miles he covered on horseback and he, you figure the weather, writing his commentaries on the horse, going to the next meeting, and they were called circuit riders. And then the Methodist Church was born out of Wesley's teachings and preaching. And Jonathan Edwards is known in American history as America's first great theologian. These are imposing men. Anyway, this is a quote from a message that Wesley preached titled, On the Holy Spirit. And I want you to listen to what he said. He said, well may a man ask his own heart whether it is able to admit, to invite the Spirit of God. Well may a man ask his own heart whether he's able to ask the Holy Spirit to come inside. We do this routinely in meetings all over the place, but rarely is it explained to the people who are asked to do so, what is the cost? For where that divine guest enters, listen, where that divine guest enters, the laws of another world must be observed. The body must be given up to martyrdom or spent in Christian warfare as unconcernedly as if the soul were already provided of its house from heaven. The goods of this world must be parted with as freely as if the last fire were to seize them tomorrow. Our neighbor must be loved as heartily as if he were washed from all his sins and demonstrated to be a child of God by the resurrection from the dead. The fruits of the spirit must not be mere moral virtues calculated for the comfort and decency of the present life 
but holy dispositions suitable to the instincts of a superior life already begun. Thus, to press forward where the promise of life calls him to turn his back upon the world and comfort himself in God. And everyone that has this faith perceives to be just and necessary and forces himself to do it. Everyone that has this hope does it gladly and eagerly, though not without difficulty. But he that has love does it with ease and singleness of heart. Basically what Wesley was saying here in that message on the Holy Spirit, number one, well may a person ask themselves, am I ready to have the Holy Spirit come into my life? And if so, then, Wesley states, that person must now begin to obey the laws of another world. That doesn't mean that when we obey the laws of God, we contradict the laws of the land, of any land. At times, though, yes. But as the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, there's no law against the fruit of the Spirit. There's no country in the whole world, no matter what its government may be, that says we don't want you to be at peace and we don't want you to be joyful or have faith. Because these are the things that make for peace in a land for any king or leader or president or prime minister. There's no law against that. But when you have the Holy Spirit, you begin to obey the laws of a whole other world. Now, we have covered many, many times here, this pulpit, the signs of the times. And in my way of thinking, we must be reminded of them frequently. And why is that? Because even with all of the dramatic things that we're seeing and hearing, our tendency is still to forget the Lord our God. And if you say, or were to say to me, well, that's not true in my case, then I would just say to you that you're immature in the Lord. You don't even know your own heart. You don't know your own nature. You have what we would call a religious spirit. I don't forget the Lord. Yes, you do. We all do. And one of the things I'm going to bring to you in just a moment, knowing what to do is the title of this message. I'm not going to spend as much time understanding the times that we live in because they're pretty much self-evident all around the world. So I won't belabor that, but perhaps to mention one or two things. But let me just state it, that the children of Issachar had these two qualifications that was going to build the kingdom of David. That's why these tribes are named in 1 Chronicles 12. They had all these different attributes. Benjamin, they were great warriors. They were all left-handed. Zebulun, they were able to keep rank. And they knew their place. And they stayed in their place. But Issachar had the peculiar and very necessary gift of being able to say, this is what's going on in the world right now around us. This is what's happening, and this is what we must do. So all these are the tribes that surrounded David and made his kingdom so great. Now concerning application for you and for me, I'll make the assumption you understand the time you're living in. But not to have that to be a presumption. Let's just look at things briefly. When I've mentioned to you, as it was just launched a few weeks ago, the Webb Telescope, which is now going beyond the Hubble Telescope and so on, remember that Jesus said there'd be signs in the sky. And we have a tendency to think of supernatural things, but I would suggest to you that we are now able to see things that no other generation has ever seen and submitted to you as evidence of signs. We're seeing things in space no generation has ever seen before, as far as we know. We're seeing things on the planet that have been seen before, but they're happening all at once. The population, as far as we know, once again, there is some discussion and debate about the population during the days of Noah. 
But that being put aside since that time, if the population was a world population, we've not seen the population be this large, and it's getting larger. Or the technology taking us to places where we've never been before. So again, I make the assumption, because I've been your pastor for quite a while, that you understand the times you're living in. But I will once again not make the presumption that everyone knows what to do. How do I know that? I watch how people live. I mean, I suppose some of you, maybe many of you, most of you have seen dying people. But I'm going to say that I've seen more dying people than you have. And I watch how they conduct their lives with a total different list of priorities than they did when they were healthy or younger. Realizing the end is near, they begin to make adjustments. Again, not to be presumptuous, if you understand that either the coming of Christ is very close and the signs of the times, the great tribulation, as you understand it from reading the scriptures and hearing messages on it, is upon us, then your life and your behavior and your priorities are going to show how much you actually understand the times. What we need, though, is not just the general population to understand the times. We need leaders to understand the times, and they must know what to do. Listen to the words of Jesus on the subject of understanding the times. In Luke 12, 56, speaking to the religious leaders of his day, he said, Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? That the prophets have spoken about Messiah from the book of Genesis. How is it you can't discern the time that you're in right now? You say you know so much. Now, I was taught by my father, who was spent 13 years at sea, whenever we would get on the subject, mostly be on the Jersey Shore if we were vacationing, and the sky is lit up all red, amber, and he would recite the old adage, red sky at night, sailor's delight, red sky in morning, sailor take warning. And Jesus is saying to this generation, you know the weather, you know these things, and actually that observation is in the New Testament, but you can't discern the time you live in. In Matthew 16, verse 3, And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering, O ye hypocrites. Ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. Now, along with this understanding, I want to share something with you. We find it in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. It says that strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As an application to understanding the times, I submit to you Hebrews 5.14 that says Christian people, people who, as Wesley said, invited the Spirit of God into their life, of which we all here say, yes, I have the Spirit of God, I've been born again. That presupposes that after a number of years, there's maturity you have a child, an infant, a year goes by, then two, and you see the progress. Three and five and 16 and 20 and 25 and whatever. And you see biological, physical maturity, psychological, intellectual, and certainly spiritual maturity may lag behind, but you see progress. You see you plant a tree and it grows, a flower and it grows, there's a maturity. And we, as those who profess to have the Spirit of God, the very Spirit that created everything from the beginning, and you say, and I say, He possesses me. If that is the case, then there's going to be a maturity in this book, in this word here. You're going to grow in it. 
going to learn a lot of things, but it's not going to be academic, merely academic. It's going to be showing in your life, the way you handle yourself, the way you're able to point out what you used to do, but that's gone now. And I always want to remind you that you're going to need to point out the things you were not doing that you are now doing. Keeping in mind, in Matthew 25, Jesus is very specific. He's given you a talent, at least one. And in some cases, in my own case, it's more than one. And I'm concerned before the Lord that I'm using all of my talents. And so should you, because you're going to give an account. For me, that is a display of understanding the times. How? Because your priorities are aligned correctly. God is not in your life. He's first in your life. Your children know it. If it's a child that gets born again before the parent, then your parents know it. They know that God is first in your life. It's not in your life. It's first. How do they know that? They watch your behavior. It's how we know everything. In the book of Proverbs, it says even a child is known by his doings. You can watch children as I have, not only my own or my grandchildren, but others. You can see their personality when they're very, very young. You can see what's in them and what may develop. And I say may because it's not a guarantee, but what may develop. You see it already. Even a child is known by his doings. Are we the people who say one thing, but there's no real evidence? And that's not what we want to be. So I want to share with you, having just given to you briefly some understanding of the times, but let me say one other thing, if I may, which just happened just a few days ago. You see, in America, and you understand my reverence for that flag and what it represents, what it was designed to represent. And my patriotism, even my handle on some of my social media accounts, states patriot. We are often presumptuous. We're Americans. It'll work out. No, we are human beings. And we are no different than anyone else on the planet if we keep violating God and his commands, the same curses that we've seen in history, past, are going to happen to us, and they're happening now. And that's the only way that I can ascertain that you understand the signs of the times is because you see there's no difference between an American and the ancient Israel when they violated God or any other nation. Look at Europe. Look at England. Listen to me. I repeat myself very frequently on this subject. Do not be deceived to think that your politicians are going to straighten out this country. And I said your politicians. That means the ones you support, the ones you vote for. We need Christ. We need God. We need a great awakening. We need to return to the book. But I want to say one thing. And so for many, well, a few years now, we've been hearing the progressives, which is sometimes another name for communists or socialists, as David Horowitz points out in his book. His parents said they were progressives. They were actually communists. And so we have a progressive. I want to say that she was the mayor. I don't know that she's actually the mayor. <clears throat> anyway, she was in charge of the police department in Kenley, North Carolina. And there was so much, in one month, there was so much disturbance and stress that the entire police force, the entire police force, every single one of them, from the chief on down, all resigned. Every single one. And I thought to myself, well, the cry has been going out to defund the police here in Kenley. They've done you a favor. They said, you don't have to defund this. We quit. You keep putting us under this kind of stress. We put our lives on the line for you. But I'm reminding you, as I did a few weeks ago, as Finney said, the problem is in the pulpit. Because many of these people in North Carolina, South Carolina, upstate New York, doesn't matter where you go, when they go and hear a preach or talk, it's all about you. And I don't want to ride on this hobby horse, but just to make the point, a preacher doesn't go to the pulpit to tell you how to lose weight. The preacher doesn't go to the pulpit to tell you how to have self-esteem. 
You can get that from any other source. The preacher comes to the pulpit to give you the word of the Lord, the word of God, and you can check the reference from this book. And that's where the problem is. Because long ago, the church defaulted on its responsibilities. And now we don't just have problems. We have what the Bible calls woe. I don't know what will happen in Kenley and how they will work that out, but we are seeing an unraveling. I, look, at people say, you know, I just can't get a job. That's a joke. Everybody's hiring, including the CDC. Because people are speaking under the promise of anonymity of what's actually going on in the CDC, and they're quitting in high-level positions. Some are just saying, I've got another year to go, and I'm out of here. The CDC is now hiring people at high-level positions. Need a job? Go ahead. But all of this is not good. And just take it from there. You're educated people. You're well-informed. You understand what's happening. But here, secondly, do you actually know what to do? And I believe that I do, though it's going to sound to some watching, there's going to be some preacher who's going to write to me and say, this is outrageous. I'm not moved by that. I have too many years in this business to be moved by opinion. So we understand the times. I'll now make that assumption. But what do we do? What do we do? I'm under the sincere conviction that the major problem that we have inside the church was the neglect or elimination of the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a special day. It's not like any other day of the week. And it's not to be treated like any other day of the week. And so I want to read this to you. Heman Humphrey was a theologian in the 19th century. And already the Christian Sabbath, which is Sunday for us, was eroding. Finney talked about it too. He lived during the same period of time. But listen to this. Humphrey wrote these words. He said, very few will pretend to deny the utility and importance of the Christian Sabbath, which again for us is Sunday. Its immediate advantages are seen to be numerous and great, for it offers timely and needful rest to all the laboring classes of society. And remember, this is written in the 1800s. It promotes cleanliness and ministers in a very high degree to health, physical, and intellectual improvement. That's when preachers were actually, you know, educated, smart. It kindly reminds, remembers rather, the working animals and releases them one day in seven from their toils. It divides time into portions highly convenient for the transaction of worldly business. And let me just say one thing. So one day out of seven is a day, Sabbath means stop. And there was a time when we first moved here 35 years ago. I mean, I've told people I could close my eyes. Not that I did, but I could close my eyes for the stop sign, just roll out onto Market Street, come down here. It was never any traffic. It was Sunday. Now it's not any different on Sunday than it is on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. There's no difference at all. Stores are always open. And that's what he was saying here. It divides the time and thus helps to regulate the various intercourse of a great community. It restores the man of a thousand cares and perplexities, certainly that's our generation, to the bosom of his family. Remember when families used to spend Sundays together? That's gone by the wayside, and it's gone by the wayside because of the negligence and the dismissal of the fourth commandment. It affords, let me say this again, it restores the man of a thousand cares and perplexities to the bosom of his family and affords time for reading, for reflection, and for the religious instruction of children. Let me stop there and say this. If you don't bring your children to church and let them be taught the word of the Lord, the word of God, and we have an excellent children's program downstairs, it's a guarantee, some market. Someone's going to be teaching them after they leave your home. 
So you must teach them the Word of God. You must teach them how to pray. You must teach them the things of God and then bring them to a church. This church is one. There's others that will teach them the Word of God because when they go into the school at grade school level, not before they get to the university, at grade school level, they're going to be confused about gender. They're going to be confused about the world. And the teachers are now endorsing it. In the state of Washington, I was reading how they can give your child an antidepressant without your permission as a parent. You wonder why a child's acting a little sluggish or something's, what's wrong? They don't need you. In many states, your child, your daughter could have an abortion that you don't have to know about it. Who gave them all this authority? I told you this a few weeks ago. We did. Since we defaulted on our duties, since right was no longer right and wrong is no longer wrong, who really knows? We need a return to the Christian Sabbath. By its weekly return, Humphrey wrote, it rebukes our worldliness, and by bringing the rich and poor so often together to worship God and receive instruction from his word, it tends exceedingly to remove prejudices, soften asperities, which means the harshness of tone. You know, the way we get caught up and we're stressed, and so we speak in harsh tones. It relieves that, he says. It rebukes our worldliness, elicits kindly feelings, checks the growth of pride, avarice, and sensuality. And on the other hand, to encourage truth. Temperance means self-control, often applied to alcohol, but self-control. Brotherly kindness and charity. In addition to its mighty influence upon our eternal interests, the civil and political benefits of the Sabbath are indeed too many and too great to be estimated. It is a far surer guarantee for the perpetuity of our free institutions that means the government. That means our country. And he's American, so he's writing it for Americans, than all the physical resources of the country. It is, in short, the true palladium, which protects the temple of liberty as well as the Ark of the Covenant. I have long since believed of the Ten Commandments. I mean, no pastor theologian is going to argue with me and say, Christians are allowed to murder. We're under grace. Or they can lie and they can perjure themselves in a court of law. Or they can profane the name of the Lord. Nobody argues against the nine, but that's that fourth. But I look at it as the thing that holds together. The first three belong to God. Not to take his name in vain. Not to have other gods before him. And not to treat God with disrespect and so on. And then the other six that lay after that, you know, honor your father and your mother and not to murder and kill. And all of these things commit adultery. Six belong to our relationship with each other. Three belong with our relationship with God. And it's the fourth that holds them all together. Because if you're not here to hear the preaching of the word of God, you will forget. And do not say, not me, I never forget. Because you do. We all do. I know I do. And I do this full time. And I'm not someone as a slacker. Whatever I focus on, I focus on intently and intensely. And I forget. If I forget, I make the assumption that everybody forgets. And without the sanctity of that one day, the Christian Sabbath, again we call it on Sunday, not our topic for today as to why, without that, these commandments just go. And I present to you as evidence what you're seeing going on. 1961, when we said no more prayer in school and no more reading of the Bible, we had a case right here in this city here. Well, over 20 years ago now, young girl was sitting, she belonged to our church, was sitting on the steps of the school reading a Bible, waiting for her ride. One of the teachers came out and said, what are you doing? Well, I'm waiting for my ride. She said, no, what are you reading? Reading the Bible. You can't read that on these steps. Now, who did that? We did that. The pulpiteers did that. They let it go. So the world said, fine. We'll take advantage of the things that you're letting go of.
and a half. We need to return to the Christian Sabbath, and it's not going to start with the government. It's not going to start with an act of Congress. It's going to start with individuals, people like you, people like me, and communities around the country that can gather together and recognize the sanctity of the Christian Sabbath, which is Sunday, and bring their children, bring their families, and everyone who professes to have the Spirit of God, as Wesley did, is now living by the set of laws from another world, not from this world. You say, oh, but Pastor, you know my boss this and my boss that on Sunday. And I've told you my stories before I was a pastor. I had it made up my mind that when church is open on Sunday, I will be there. And how God just truly honored that. Caused my boss, when I was a letter carrier, to rearrange the schedule, pay regular men double time to take my place as the lowest guy in a staff of, I don't know, 75 or 80 letter carriers so I could go to church on Sunday. And how did he do that? I mean, how? How did that happen? You're going to find this strange about what I'm about to say. I mean it. You're going to find it strange. Because I went to God and prayed. Yeah. When I first arrived here years ago, and our church was just growing and growing and growing and growing, I had some pastors in the area say, what are you doing? I said, well, we're praying. And they would say to me, a few said to me, I know that, but what are you doing? I said, we're praying. And again, it was like, yeah, well, I understand that, but what are you doing? You mean preaching? What are you talking about? I've never been a clever CEO type guy. I'm not saying I don't have the brains for it. I just don't have the conviction for it. Jesus said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Preaching of the word and praise, as I posted yesterday on social media. That's the purpose of why we're here. What a beautiful song service today. Amen. I want to say this so respectfully because it's difficult to say it. But sometimes I say to myself, you know, we're actually better off with less people doing the song service. Because I know that the ones that are here are here really to praise and sing. Now, don't take offense at that. I'm not trying to be offensive to you. You come when you come. I'm just saying that's not the way I'm committed to God. And I never have been. And with the help of God, I never will be. I hear your voices since we're a little low on musicians. So that allows me to hear your voices and I hear harmonies coming out. But what I mostly hear is praise to God. That's why we're here today. To give praise to God. To acknowledge that without his hand, we can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Oh, you can fix your car and you can make a meal, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. Nothing spiritual, nothing to affect the world can be done without the power of the Spirit of God, the power of Christ, and the power of the Word of God, and so on. Nothing. We can't affect anything. We need to return to the Christian Sabbath, and that must, my friend, begin with you. You must put it aside as a holy day. You must begin in your own heart to say, no, I do not violate God's day. And you will be tested, as I have been, maybe not so much as a pastor, of course, but in other ways, before I was actually getting paid, when I was pastoring and still having to work, and God always, always took me, I was tested. I was tested. I always like reading this from time to time, and above 20 years ago, somebody suggested to me, you know, stop reading from de Tocqueville. And I rejected that advice then, and I reject it now. Why? Because I think that he wrote in his Democracy in America something very important for America, Americans that we need to be reminded of from time to time. So I'll read it again. Of what de Tocqueville wrote in his observations on America and Americans in his two-volume book, Democracy in America, and this is just incredible when he writes these words, it is still true, however, that nothing strikes a foreigner on his arrival in America more forcibly than the regard paid to the Sabbath. His opinion, but it was once true. 
foreigner comes to our shores, and they marvel at maybe a couple of different things in the early 1800s, but nothing more forcibly than the way Americans treated Sundays. There is one, in particular the large American cities in which all social movements begin to be suspended even on Saturday evening, to traverse in the streets at the hour at which you expect men in the middle of life to be engaged in business and young people in pleasure, and you meet with solitude and silence. And believe me, if you lived on Market Hill like I do, you would appreciate solitude and silence. I'm coming in here this morning. What time is it? 9 a.m.? And you hear music, you just blast, and I mean, it's really loud. I'm hearing vulgar words and all of this stuff. And I'm not being judgmental as much as I'm saying, I pity these young people, I pity these people. In a few minutes, we'll be singing praise to God. Solitude and silence. Not only have all ceased to work, but they appear to have ceased to exist. Neither the movements of industry are heard, nor the accents of joy, nor even the confused murmur which arises from the midst of a great city. Chains are hung across the streets in the neighborhood of the churches. I told you this, and I'm going to remind you of this. Back in the 1960s, when I was playing in a championship fife and drum corps, we went to Ocean Grove, New Jersey. We had a parade there, a gig, and we were staying overnight because it was something following the next day. Ocean Grove was a Methodist town, and it still has an auditorium that was made for preaching. I don't know what they're doing these days, but that was back in those days. And some of the young people tried to slip out at night in the cars and go to different places, and guess what was put up? It was a gate and a chain around it. That was left over from the colonial period as well as the 18th century. On Saturday night, they chained the cities. Nobody's going anywhere. There's no business. It's the Holy Sabbath of God. That's in my lifetime. I remember them talking about I was a young kid at the time, but I remember them talking about it. They tried to sneak out, and they couldn't because the gates were locked. And I think if we're going to return to the Christian Sabbath, that's what's going to have to happen. It's going to be one community at a time. That's going to say, we refuse to do business. This is the Lord's day. We're going to honor it. I thought if I opened a business, and I had one in mind in particular. I'm not going to, I don't think, but I'm just saying if I did. I just pictured how the people would react when I tell them we're not open on Sunday. But in my own inimitable way, I would have also told them, if you don't like it, don't join. Go to some place that's 24-7. Let me say this to you again, respectfully, and remind you. I'm your pastor, for most all of you here. I am not available 24-7. God is. Amen. You can wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and call on God and he'll answer. You can wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and call on me. I'm not answering. <laughs> and you say, oh, you're being silly. I've had calls at 3 o'clock in the morning. Not for like, you know, some really bad disaster. I had a call a couple of years ago at 3 o'clock in the morning because some man's having a fight with his wife. So you should come down here and straighten her out. <laughs> That's a sickness. If it's not a devil... It's a sickness, 3 o'clock in the morning. I wouldn't have did it at 12 o'clock noon. It doesn't matter. Anyway, we like this phrase, 24-7. Yeah, all the movers and the shakers are doing that today, but it's not aligned with reason. It's not aligned with good intelligence, and it's certainly not aligned with the Word of God. We need to return to the Christian Sabbath. Number two, we need to return to the prayer life. I emphasize life, not prayer time. The prayer life. I set out when I was younger to do what the scriptures say is to pray without ceasing. Do I have a prayer time? Sort of. I get up first thing, grab my coffee, sit down first thing is the Bible. That's always been my habit. I do some reading, I do some reflection, I do some meditating, but that's when my day begins and that's when my prayer life, life begins. You come to mind, somebody comes to mind, somebody's got a request for me, I pray in this, I'm praying in my car all day long. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't have a prayer time. I'm just saying that I really actually don't. I'm trying to become the prayer life, constantly praying. At all times, that's what the scriptures say. And I think that that's what you should shoot for too. Pray without ceasing. We need to return to the life of prayer. And Jesus went into the temple of God. This is Matthew 21, 12, 13, and 14. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And I've always found it remarkable. Right after that, it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Because of the, quote, business, and I mean business in a literal sense, because of the business of the church, of people selling things. I mean, I've met Christian artists and so on that will actually talk about their CDs or whatever being product. I mean, maybe I'm splitting hairs and being a little bit too overboard with it, but I don't think that's a proper term. You're in ministry. You're here, like Wesley said, to be ready to meet the Lord at any moment and all of this. Live by the laws of another world. And we have this in the church today. Briefly, briefly, for those of you who may not be aware, what I tell you is true. Over the last couple of decades, you can go to a church building and at any point in time, among other things that you can buy, they have McDonald's now inside the church building. My thought on that is this. I mean, there's some scriptures to talk about with that too. But if there's a McDonald's right down the street, why can't you just get in your car and go? Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm on a very, very low-fat diet. That smell of those french fries, it can reach me like a shark 100 miles away. Not only is it a distraction in my mind, but you're merchandising people. Go out and eat, go out and eat. That's a good idea. Take some people from the church, go out to the diner, go to McDonald's. If that's where you go, that's fine. But did you know there are some churches, I don't think they're in a majority, you can even get a tattoo. You come here, I'll give you a tattoo. It's at the point of being bizarre. And I'll just stop that because, you know, I've made mention of other things. You know, our elder brother up there goes out to Las Vegas, goes to a church, and it's all dark, and they got uh, ice cream sodas. The last time I had an ice cream soda was in what we used to call a soda parlor. What is going on? You like ice cream soda? You like ice cream and all that? There's places to buy it. We got people slurping in the middle of a message. This is the Word of God. This is the church of the Holy God, God's people. We've lost respect, we've lost reverence, we've lost sight. We can no longer, like the ancient priests of Israel, that can no longer put a difference between the clean and the profane. They can just go all come together. We need to return to the prayer life. Jesus said to those men that day, he said, you've made it a den of thieves. My house is gonna be the house of prayer. It was then and it still is. The house of prayer, not the place of merchandise. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. And that's a verse. Pastor, you really get that out of the Bible? I really got that out of the Bible. Because see, some teachings on prayer is just like, just talk to God. And that's it. You know what? There are principles behind prayer. One of them is unwavering faith, which I talk about quite often and frequently. The other is that if we're disobeying God here, there, and everywhere, I didn't write this. You understand this? That I didn't write what I'm about to read to you? I did not write this. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law from doing it, even his prayer shall be an abomination. It's like people, unfortunately, we're hearing more and more of it. 
children, that I don't mean little children, but I mean grown children, abusing their parents in a lot of different ways, including physically, abusing their good nature, abusing their kindness, abusing what they give to them, and then really hassle the parent. Then there comes a point in time that even some of the things said that ordinarily would have been taken in a kind way doesn't matter anymore. Look how you treat me. God says in his word, he says, if I be a father, where's my reverence? I'm sorry if this is too old school for some of you, but every once in a while I meet a younger person. You say, well, are you, you know, a stuffed shirt? No, I'm not. I'm really not. I like people generally. But sometimes I'll find a young person, you know, and say, hey, Ray. And I'll say, that's Pastor Ray to you. You say, oh, you're a stuffed shirt. And that's why you don't have, you know, all this and that. I don't want all this and that. What I'm looking for are the laws of another world. I'm not concerned about being the most popular. I'm not concerned about that. If I was, I would, I would be so likable. <laughs> I would be so likable. Everybody just come because I would tell people whatever they want to hear. And that, my friend, is the problem we have right now. People are going in, not by the thousands, the tens of thousands, because the preacher is prepared to tell them whatever they want to hear. I know we have more than one person here that's been in the military, and I know we have more than one that's been in the Marine Corps, and my son is sitting here. Imagine when you stepped off that bus, son, and they just said to you, how would you like your hair cut? <laughs> just a little off the sides, please. If you have any problems, you have Staff Sergeant so-and-so over here. Was that your experience there, mister? Yeah, your hair is still cut the way they cut it from 30 years ago. Just a little off the sides and just trim the mustache. Okay, get off my bus, get in my building and all that. Zebulun, which is not mentioned in our text, is not part of our subject, they knew how to keep rank. They knew whose stripes were whose on their sleeves and what bars and so forth and stars and oak leaves meant. We need that too. I'm just a sinner saved by grace just like you. But I'm still the pastor. I was going to say, yeah, you have any doubts? Challenge it. Because I learned something. You have 50 people in a bus, you drive a bus, and everybody says, you know what? I'm going to take a hand to the wheel. Where do you think the bus is going to end up? Well, who knows? But it won't be on the road. Well, you get the point. We can't turn our ear away from the word of God from doing it any more than we can in James chapter 1 say, yeah, he will. I don't know if he will. Yeah, he will. No, I don't know if he will. Yeah, he will. And receive an answer from the Lord. We have to comply with his principles. I'm going to ask you today to raise your hand. You don't have to. You don't have to shout amen. You don't have to say anything. But do you want answers from God? Do you want to see? This is how I talk to God. Do you want to see his power in the generation we live in? We've got to play by the rules. You can go to McDonald's or Burger King or wherever you want to go, and you can give them your order. And when it comes not exactly the way you like it, you say, that's not what I ordered, and you send it back. When it comes to God, you go reverently and you go respectfully. And you say, God, I come before you, and so on and so forth. And like David said, you know, my heart has been before you. And perfection, God doesn't look for our perfection. If he did, none of our prayers would be answered. But he looks for a heart that's perfect. Oh, God, hear me. Oh God, you know, and then you let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God guides you as he's answering your prayer. And then we give testimonies. And then we give testimonies of God who intervened in this and that and the other thing. Let me say something to you. It's a little off topic. God can heal not one of your sicknesses. He can heal any of your sicknesses. Any. Any single one. Because he's God. Thirdly, we need a daily reading of the Bible. 
with application. That means when you're reading the Bible, you don't just close it and make a little check mark wherever you make a check mark and say, okay, I did my reading. It means you're finding verses in there that you say, okay, how do I apply this? And sometimes what you're reading is gonna be difficult application because it's gonna require you to take an action that you're gonna definitely get some either resistance from the flesh, resistance from devil, both, resistance from people, it's just gonna come. Good habits, remember, they're hard to form. Bad habits are easy to form and bad habits are easy to pick up and good habits can be ruined in a moment of time. We need to return to a daily reading. So let me just ask you, and again, don't raise your hand and say amen, because I'm not looking to embarrass others, but are you reading your Bible every day? These are the last days. Jesus is coming. Dear Lord, the entire world has gone crazy. And where are you? In relation to this book, where are you? 31,102 verses, there's a lot of material. And you need to be in this. You say, okay, uh, of course, what does it mean? What's the understanding here, Lord? You gotta pray first, and then read, and then make an application, which implies changes. I'm 68 years old, 45 years in the Lord, 45 years in ministry, well, that's just the way it worked out. And I'm still seeing God search me out and say, okay, now this gotta change. And his commandments are not grievous. But every time, and I say this to the Lord sometimes in prayer, I said, you know, every time I've made a decision to follow you more closely, it has never been the wrong decision. I've never regretted it. Did the way get narrower and harder? Sure. But I've never regretted it. And I'll tell you something, neither will you. Don't follow Christ with half a heart. Follow him with all your heart. Everything you got. What are people going to think about you? And I always say this to you. For those of you who are afraid of what people are going to think, if you're committed, I mean, fully committed to Christ, they're going to talk behind your back. Here's the bad news. They're already talking behind your back. <laughs> First of all, they make assumptions. If you go to a certain church, after 2016, it was just assumed because of my preaching and all this, I voted for Trump. And people came to me. And they didn't attack me physically, thankfully, but they attacked everything that Trump was saying and doing, whatever. And they put it on me. And I said, what do I have to do with him? Every four years, we have a choice. Vanilla or chocolate. That's it. Left or right. Which way do you want to go? Give me 20 choices, then you can hold me responsible that I didn't vote for your man or woman or whatever. <laughs> You're holding me responsible, and why do you assume? You see, we're living in evil times. And you can say, well, it's this, it's progressive, it's liberal, it's whatever. It's called sin. It's called evil. It's called wickedness. And we are, sadly, we are there now. Let me say this. We need, fourthly, to seek for Christian fellowship. We need to spend time together. Now, I'm not able to do a whole lot because of all the responsibilities I have between the church and all the things that are on me and family and whatever. But I am definitely very glad on Saturday night when I hear the scripture, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. Now, are any of you here today being held hostage? Because we don't hold hostages. It's in your own church. Unless you're a kid. But after you're grown, we just don't do that. So you're going to church, you're going to sit there, and you're going to like it. Now say amen. The preacher just says something good. Say amen. Lift up your hands. Shout hallelujah. That's for cheerleaders. When you've got that spirit, as Wesley talked about, inside you, it is welling up to eternal life. And there it is. We need to seek Christian fellowship. We need to build each other up. I mean, you see, all through the Bible, we need to find men and women of like precious faith. I know I need it, and I'm thankful that some of you provide it, you know, with an email or whatever, a word. But is there anybody here today that doesn't need a word of encouragement? You know, don't tell me that you don't. Because then I'm going to say to you, then you're not putting out much. 
Because I know that whenever I'm under any kind of a heavy load, doesn't matter if it's physical or it's mental, spiritual, intellectual, I need a word of encouragement. I need someone to say, you're going to make it. You can do it. Come on, let's go. You can do it. Are you like me? Need a word of encouragement? You find life to be easy? Stress-free? No. We need Christian fellowship. So listen, let me just say one thing about that, and I'll go on to the next point and quit. Every second Sunday of the month, we have fellowship here. Mark it in your calendar today, second Sunday, Christian fellowship, that you're going to stay for a little bit. Oh, you say, Pastor, I got places to go, people to see, things to do. Well, tell the people and the places and the things, they're going to have to wait an hour. Because that's all we're really talking about. And you enjoy a meal, you get to know the people that you worship with and pray with, and I enjoy it. We still have dinner, because my wife, she asks me every week, you know, every month. So are we going to eat when you get home? I said, sure, yeah, absolutely. But you ate at the fellowship. You had something at the fellowship. Yeah, I had something at the fellowship, and I'll eat again. But what's really important is the time we spend together, and we need it. You say, I don't need it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, if you're even thinking that way, that's one of the reasons you're starting to walk away. You're starting to walk away. Well, I don't care for that. Well, I just told you, I'm supernaturally indifferent. I'm going to give a report to Jesus. That's the only thing that really concerns me. And I want to make sure that at the end of my life, I told the truth. I'm not a perfect man. I'm very flawed. Everybody knows that. But I'm not a dishonest man. And we must have the truth. If you're missing these things, you're starting to slide. But the devil will tell you, or your own mind will say, I'm not sliding. I'm as good as ever. Let me finish with this. And this is a matter of prayer for all of us. We need a return to biblical preaching, emphasis on the Bible. We need preachers that will rise up and they're not afraid of the faces of the people. And you people I've been with, some of you I've been with a long, long time, many, many decades. Guy on the radio some years ago listens to the radio broadcast and said, man, the people in your church must love you the way you preach. So I assume that you do. But I'm proud of you. I really am. And I often tell people about the church, how things going. I said, well, you know, I got a real good group of people. I really do. Almost everybody. Some of those issues and problems we had years ago, they just, they don't exist because just preach them out. Keep turning up the heat. Who's getting hot? Really? Why don't you find a cool place to go? Because you're not changing. This is a message. I'll, I'll finish with this on biblical preaching. Let God judge whether I was right or wrong. <clears throat> but it was Palm Sunday years ago. Some of you were there. And I knew that the church as a whole was just not living right. I mean, not everybody, but just some. And it was causing problems and had an uncomfortable spirit when I was in prayer. And... I decided to preach about Jesus coming to church with a whip, and that was the title of the message, The Day God Came to Church with a Whip. So I happened to, which I don't do very frequently, I just happened to mention to my wife the night before, I said, well, this is what I'm going to preach on tomorrow, it's Palm Sunday. She said, oh, you better be prepared for the repercussions. <laughs> so I'm prepared. And I told the people that day, I said, you know you're not living right. You know it, I know it. You know that you don't agree with the vision of this church or the pastor. Then there was the bomb. I said, so I'm asking you to leave and find another church. Oh, people went nuts. Well, some, not all. I had a little princess telephone. I was covered during the message on a silver serving tray. I said, I found the method that the devil has used to kill the church, you know. I had it covered for most of the message. And I, whoosh, I ripped off the towel, put the phone to my ear, and I said, Hi, you know, so-and-so, yeah, what do you think about Pastor Ray? Yeah, well, you know, and then I went around the church, you know, hey, what about Sister, you know, and all the gossips that were in the church, they were livid. That one little illustration got to them because they heard the voice of God say, you're the man. 
you're the, I didn't say it, you're the man. I was just doing it by prayer and a sense of intuition. Biblical preaching will not please everybody, so get used to that. Biblical preaching will not always please you. Biblical preaching doesn't always please me. The greatest messages that had an impact and change in my life came from preachers that I didn't want to hear what they were saying, but I knew they were right. And the preachers that I adored and loved were good. I mean, they were encouragers or whatever, but very rarely did it change me. I was changed when I was challenged. And I'm challenging you today. Obviously, there's nothing we can do about an order coming from Congress to now make Sunday the Christian Sabbath, and you're not gonna get it from many church leaders either. But it should be in your heart a decision to sanctify that day. Two, to return to a life of prayer yourself, individually. Number three, read the Bible daily. If you've lost a habit, okay, fine, get back to it tomorrow. No, today, this afternoon, get back, read it. Fourth, pray for the pulpits of America. Pray that God will raise us up, because if not, dear Lord, I tell you, my heart grieves what I see. My little grandchildren, the little kids, even my own children that are grown, what they're facing. And I say to myself what I heard Jesus say on the cross, my God, Father, they, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're in for. They don't have the knowledge of history, biblical history, of history in general. We need Christ, and we need him desperately. You understand the times. You say, well, yeah, Pastor, it's certainly some challenging, difficult times. But do you know what to do? This is what we must do. Christian fellowship, I forgot to mention that too. We need that. So let's pray. I want to pray for America. I want to pray for our country, and then for the churches, and for them, lastly, for you and me. God help us. Lord, we're here together today, and we could name so many, many things that are going on. Horrible things, evil things, wicked things, that I don't think uh, even 15 years ago people could foresee what was going to happen. But yet, to know history, we see it repeating itself in a nation that has forgotten God. Help us, God, in America. Send us a third great awakening. Send us preachers that will lead people to you. Once again, fill up the churches and fill up the seats. People that will seek you with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray, Lord, for the churches, that they will be strengthened. The ones that are preaching the word, strengthen them. Fill them with your spirit. Touch them. Help them. Anoint them. And lastly, Lord, I pray for this fellowship here. In my own understanding, where, where Satan's seat is, and yet, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So I ask you, God, to pour out your anointing on Time for Truth Ministries. I ask you, to God, to touch those who heard this message today. Touch and lead their hearts to you. Fully committed. Both feet in. Living by the laws of another world, by the Spirit of God. God, we look to you for once again, without you, we can do nothing. Help us, God. We need your help today. So, Father, we close this service as we have for many, many, many years. Remind us today during the week to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength. Then to love one another. Cause us to be a Barnabas to others around us, an encourager, to strengthen the brethren. Help us, God, remind us of these things each and every day. Today, God, we give you all of the praise on this Lord's Day. We give you all of the honor. Everything belongs to you. And we pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Can everybody say amen this morning? Amen.